hold in my hand the book of books, the inspired word of God, and herein we have the book of Esther, where we have been meditating for these last couple of weeks, and we'll meditate a few more, and today we're in chapter 2 of the book of Esther. We're going to start with verse 19. I want you to know that for the Christmas series, we're going to do Home for Christmas. So we'll be talking about the places where Jesus lived in the messages as we go through Christmas. And then starting the first of the year, we are planning a series on the Apostles' Creed. I'm going to preach through the Apostles' Creed. Memorize it, talk about it. This ancient confession of faith that has shaped the church of Jesus Christ and in summary brings together the great doctrines of our faith. So, Esther chapter 2, beginning with verse 19. When the virgins were assembled a second time, that's all the virgins they collected from all over the kingdom, doing it again the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do. For she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the Annals in the presence of the king. This edition of the NIV is the first one that uses poles instead of gallows. And if you read about that, you'll discover that the historic practice for execution in Persia was impaling on poles. So the gallows on which they hung becomes the pole on which they hung in this edition. Don't let that throw you off. It's uh, just a variation of the text. I grew up feeling separated from the rest of the world. Maybe you felt that too. I felt like our family was a special unit of faith that we really didn't need anybody else. And when I went into the world, I felt like the world was wicked and that I needed to stay pure. In our family, when I was a boy, we didn't drink, we didn't smoke, we didn't curse, we didn't dance, we didn't play cards, we didn't go to the movie house. And I felt in tension with the larger world of which I was a small part. When we became Baptists, 
The Baptist way of being in the world fit me just fine. Because Baptists also have that sense of war with the culture and battling the devil. And when we go into the world, we want to stay pure. In fact, the Anabaptists, our early fathers, did not want to engage in any way in the world. They wouldn't take the oath of office. They wouldn't serve in public capacity. They were the church. They wanted to be the church, authentic in its life, in its love for one another. They wanted to separate something like Mennonites might do today. And their way of engaging the world was to say, look, this is how true community works. This is what God does to a human community when people love one another. This is what salvation brings to families. Well, Mordecai sat at the king's gate. And I want to suggest to you that there is a role for God's people at the king's gate. The king's gate is where they did their court system. So Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate, participated in judging conflicts between people. The king's gate is where they deliberated matters that affected the entire community. And so it was a place of legislation where rules were created and enforced. In fact, Daniel also sat at the gate of the city. It was their way of being in exile. They were listening to the prophet Jeremiah who, when he spoke to the Jews in exile, said to them, build houses, plant gardens, have weddings. He said to them in, chap in chapter 29, verse 7, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you also will prosper. So Mordecai, the member of an exiled community, has the opportunity, we don't know why or how it came his way, the invitation to sit at the king's gate. He might have said, it's a pagan king in a flawed and wicked system. I'm not going to sit with those other people at the king's gate. But Mordecai chose a different way of being in his world. He decided that he would indeed take the invitation and the opportunity to sit at the king's gate and so have a position of influence in the society of which he was a part. It is this decision that he makes which allows him to hear about the assassination plot of King Xerxes. And so he becomes a player in the wider story of the empire of Persia because he chooses not to 
back away from his city and the larger culture, but to step forward and take a part. I want to challenge you to do the same. When we say the world is wicked, that's a true statement. If we say God loved the world, that also is a true statement. We live in a tension. And too often, we have stepped back as believers in Jesus, as followers of Christ, and decided it's too dirty for us. Politics, the corporate boardroom, the opportunities we might have to influence the larger structure of things. We've decided, no, I'm going to stay back here and be with the community of faith, and that's where I'll spend my time. But I want to challenge you, young people and old, whoever you might be, to consider the call of God to sit at the king's gate. Maybe you feel like I, that I'm an exile, I'm a pilgrim. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I can't feel at home in this world anymore. That's all right. We are strangers and aliens, as the Scripture says, in the world. As was Mordecai and Esther and Daniel. And yet we have dual citizenship. We are members of the heavenly kingdom, members of the earthly community of faith, and members of larger communities that have lots of problems, lots of trouble, and present lots of opportunities to share our faith and live out our faith. You say, well, if I decide to sit at the king's gate, if I decide to take that position they offer me on that board or get involved with that council or move up in the organization, if I decide to do that, how am I going to stay true to my faith? Because I know it's going to be tested. And that's true. Your faith will be tested as you take on larger opportunities, as you have a place of influence and power in the world. People are going to come to you, and there are going to be temptations to do the wrong thing. So here's the word for you, okay? you got to stay connected. Mordecai and Esther stayed connected. They talked to one another. He gave her instructions. He helped her with the task of being queen. They weren't solo operatives in their work in the world. They worked together. It's a very discouraging thing to think, I'm the only Christian in this whole company. And it's probably not true. Maybe it's true, but it's probably not. You may be feeling like the prophet Elijah after doing great battle with the false prophets. He was so depressed. He said, God, take my life. Just take me out of here. I'm the only one that's left. And God had to say to his prophet, you are not the only one that's left. Will you open your eyes, Elijah? There are 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. You have 
opportunity to, to join with them in the good work I've given you. Don't you feel isolated? Don't you feel alone? That's a trick. You've got to stay connected. That's a trick of the devil who's trying to immobilize you and neutralize your witness. You are not alone. And if you stand up for Christ in the corporate structure or the business world, you're going to find allies there who will say to you, I'm interested in helping you with that task in getting things more justly done, in treating people with mercy who are part of our system. And you will have allies who will step forward to help. Stay connected. Stay connected to your family of faith. Keep worshiping with the body of Christ. Keep reading the Bible and saying your prayers. Keep connecting the deeds of the gospel to the words of the gospel. When you get out there at the king's gate, be ready always to give, you an, an, to give an answer for anyone who asks you for the hope that is in you. Peter said that's the way it's going to be. If you get out there in the world and you start living like Jesus wants you to at the king's gate or wherever he calls you, people are going to ask, what's up with you? Why do you have a different perspective? Why are you not so upset like all the rest of us? What's going on in your life? How can you stay calm in the middle of this? And you have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody who has asked you for your demeanor in the world. I challenge you, think about it. Think about going into the world, though it is wicked, though it is difficult, though there are tensions and challenges there. Yet staying connected to the people who love you, who are walking this journey of faith with you, who love the Lord Jesus and honor his word. And you will find strength to resist the evil one. God is going to bring a fragrance on your life. Morton, Illinois has a fragrance this time of year. It smells like pure pumpkin, nutmeg, and cinnamon. And when you open your Libby's canned pumpkin, it was more than likely produced at the cannery in Morton, Illinois, where thousands of acres around that cannery are planted with choice pumpkins chosen by Libby's. And they bring them in by the millions. And they say, during this season of the year, the entire area has this fragrance. Hey, I'm okay with nutmeg and cinnamon, aren't you? <laughs> Particularly as Thanksgiving's coming up. I like it. There's a fragrance about your life as you have this style that mimics Jesus in your world. You're loving other people. You're maintaining your cool. You're operating with peace and joy in your heart. And people are watching you, your demeanor, and the fragrance of their life, of your life, and they're wondering, what is going on with you? We hardwire being at the king's gate with sharing the word of the gospel. And we cannot separate the two. We've got to keep them together. Mordecai is both a covenant person and a member of the king's council. He's doing both. 
And you can do it too. In the place where you live. In the place God has put you. And oftentimes these opportunities come not because we planned them. I don't think Mordecai probably planned this. I know he didn't plan somehow to live in Susa. He probably would have preferred Jerusalem. He was in exile there, born in exile. But he made the best of it. And when he had an opportunity to do something good for the place where he lived, he said, I'll do it. You remember as you go into the world, as you take your position at the king's gate, you stay connected to the brothers and sisters. And I'll tell you one other thing that's in this text that I want you to note. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, some son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials in the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Mordecai wouldn't kneel. He wasn't about to kneel. Why wouldn't he kneel? Because he serves God alone. There's one who is worthy of his worship, and that's God. And he wasn't going to kneel to Haman. Haman represented for Mordecai all the ancient enemies of the people of God as they seek to claim what was theirs in God's providence and his promise. He was part of the Amalekites. Agag was their king. Right after they came through the Red Sea and God delivered them from bondage in Egypt, the Amalekites decided they were going to attack Israel. That was the battle where Aaron and Hur got under the arms of Moses and held up his arms because as long as he held his hands up, Israel prevailed in battle. And when his hands went down, the Amalekites prevailed. And they got under his arms and they held up his arms and Israel won that battle. They were fighting the Amalekites, the ancient ancestors of Haman. Gideon's 300 men taking on that huge army with pitchers and lamps and trumpets. How in the world the Amalekites were in that valley. They were part of the great number of soldiers that were confused when they broke those pitchers and blew those trumpets. It was the Amalekites who attacked Israel and Saul was instructed to kill them all and he failed to do so. Samuel says, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear? And Saul said, well, I decided to modify the instructions. It was in a battle with the Amalekites that Saul lost the throne. God has refused you from being king. Haman represents all of that enemy of God through all the ages as he comes out of the gate and everybody kneels but not Mordecai. You ought to give respect where respect is due and honor where honor is due, all right? We don't need to treat people in a way that dishonors them. 
But as followers of Jesus, we have a long history of saying only Jesus is worthy of worship. And in ancient times, when the soldiers came by and required that they worship little statues of Caesar and say, Caesar is Lord, followers of Jesus refused to do so, even at threat of death. So when you get out there in the world and you're sitting at the king's gate, he's given you a position of influence in your business or your profession or the city of which you are a part. You don't bow your knee to money. See, if you were the judge, you cannot be bought. Nobody can bribe you out of justice. Justice is not for sale if you're the judge. If you're the man who holds the position, you will not lie. You will not deceive. That's who you are. And you say, well, if I practice that, I'll lose my job. And that's okay, too. It's okay. Because my character and what I stand for and my oneness with Jesus, my Savior, and my loyalty and faithfulness to him is more important than the job. And I will not bow the knee for money or pleasure or power. I will not bow the knee. Jesus alone is Lord. Amen? So when Christians begin to spread in totalitarian regimes, the dictators instinctively know they are a threat because they will not admit that the state is absolute, that it can demand absolute loyalty. It cannot. A follower of Jesus will stand true, even if it costs him his job, his money, even his life. I like what Paul Ryan said when we visited with him in Washington. This congressman says to us, the only way to do this job right is to be prepared to lose it. Amen. So our presence in the world is a presence of conviction and moral courage and honesty and transparency and integrity. And we cannot be bought. We cannot be lied to. We cannot be pressured into being somebody that we're not. And God can use us in that place, in that space to make a difference in our day. You ever get tired of it? You read the newspaper, you hear the news, and you think, man, this world needs to change. Somebody needs to change things. You ever think that? Do you have an idea of how you could change your world? Do you have a dream of how your world could change? Could it be that like Mordecai and Esther, you have been put in a place 
where you can not only dream about a change in your world, but you can help make it happen. <laughs> Young people, I think about all the things that you can do. Looking through the years ahead, if God gives his grace and the Lord tarries, what a marvelous way you can impact your world with the good news of the gospel. How the love of Christ can prevail in families and communities through your witness and work in the world. I challenge you to dream about how God can use you to make a difference in your place. And if you have an invitation to sit at the king's gate, I want you to pray about taking it. God, is this your assignment for me? Even though it may be hard. Going with a commitment that I'll always be true to the gospel. Are you calling me to make a difference in my world? Had Mordecai not been at the gate, he would never have heard of the assassination plot. Had he not been at the gate, he would not have been the instrument that God used like he did to save his people. Let's bow together. And as we bow, I want you to think about what God may be calling you to do. Maybe an idea you already have about changing something in a world full of needs, addressing something yourself, something that God has been speaking to your heart about. Lord, thank you that your Holy Spirit is always at work. You are at work around us. We notice that work. God, we pray for all the ideas and notions and dreams that maybe we could be part of changing things, bearing witness unto our Savior by making a difference in our world. I pray for young people today. God, that you would help them not despair or be discouraged. Fill them with hope, fill them with joy, fill them with great anticipation of all the good and great things you're going to do through them. Lord, I pray for the one, that woman or man, who's studying an invitation to sit at the king's gate. Give them wisdom. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to this world with all its problems, difficulty, wickedness, and sin. And still you came to bear witness to the light, to show us the way. Help us do the same in our time, in our place. In Jesus' name, amen. This is our time of invitation.